1379. Today we're going to learn the after of Pashat Vayera. The class is in memory of Jared Orchen. And we will not start from the beginning of the Aftorah because the, the Aftorah is a, is, combines two stories, two miracles from the prophet Elisha. Elisha was a prophet after Elijah. He took over. Elijah made miracles. Elisha did double amount of miracles. Elisha asked from Elijah before Elijah died, Elijah asked them, told him, ask what you want. What he said? He says, give me double of your spirit. He got double of his spirit, double miracles, double and everything. In this Torah, we read the chapter four from the uh, King uh, number two, chapter four. The chapter four itself contains five miracles. In the Torah, which is long, is only two miracles. One miracle is in the beginning, a short miracle. This we learned a few years ago, and anybody wants can find it online. That's the beginning of the Torah, the story with uh, Elisha, with the woman and the, and the oil, the miracle of the oil, as it's called. The second story, that's what we're going to learn today. Now, Elisha made miracles on a personal level. You see, before that, most of the miracles were to the community, to the old Jewish people, spreading of the sea, manna. But if somebody has a need to give him a miracle, that's Elisha started a new style. He created a new style of miracles. And that was un unusual. A woman came to him, I owe money. They want to take my children as a... As a as, as uh, slaves, he made it a miracle. Instead of going to scream on the system, you know, you cannot fight the system. He made it a miracle. She found oil enough. He made personal miracles. You can imagine that Elisha was very busy. He was, can you imagine everybody, you know how many tzoros are in the world? Everybody has a tzoros. People stand on line, lines and lines and lines. Rabbi, give us this, give us this, this, this. Then we were going to start on the second story. Chapter, King Not Book 2, Chapter 4, Number 8. One day. One day, Elisha passed through Shunem. Shunem. Shunem is a city, 30 kilometers. How much miles is that? What's the, how much miles is in 30 kilometers? 18. 18 kilometers? 18 miles. 18 miles from Mount Carmel. Wait, which direction? North you, or south. You want me to know this too? <laughs> Which direction? God knows. Geography is not my strongest side. It's near Afula. Of course. You should know. Of course. You know where Afula is? Yeah. Afula is north. Uh, north more north. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Which direction? <laughs> okay. One second. Shunei was a place that was... Well, in the Bible, the city of Shunem is mentioned quite a few times. It's a city that they, they found many proofs, not just from the Bible, that the city exists, and they, they know the, where the ruins of the city is, and they know where the city is today. Go ahead. He went to Shunem. Okay. A distinguished lady who lived there insisted that he eat a meal in her house from then onwards. Okay. Whenever he passed by, he would go there to eat bread. Right. We, we, we also remember the story of the Shun, uh, Shunamit. Shunamite. That's a test. Shunamite. A Shunamite woman. Ruth, isn't it? No. No. That's. Shunamite woman. Shunamite. Deborah? No. Somebody very exciting. Ruth? A Shunamite, a Shunamite woman. From the north. <laughs> you know, you all know. Yeah. You all heard about it, let's put it this way. One of the Elijah stories? No, before that, much before. Samson? Before. I mean, no, no, after. After Samson. Avishag, the Shunammite. Oh, who comforted David. Mm -hmm. Brought to David. 
David was cold. He bought him a beautiful woman, mm. Abishak the Shunammite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Medrash says that this woman is a sister from Abishak the Shunammite. Mm. That's what the Medrash says. That he went there and was a great woman. Ishak Dola. How do they translate in English? A distinguished lady. lady. She was very of great importance. She was probably rich and a very special person. Let's put it this way. The whole story is about the first story is about a woman. The second story is about a woman. Okay, she told when he, she when 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 Elisha Elisha was at that time in the beginning of his in of his prophecy career. Not too many people know him, but this woman she she saw she said this man. I want to invite him to my house. First of all, it shows she was a very hospitable woman. She invited people to her house. She fed them, just like the story in the parsha that Abraham had the three angels who came to visit him in his house, right? She begged them. Matechzakbo means she was holding on to him. She forced them to come to her house. To she wants to feed them, because she sensed that this man is a holy man. She felt she saw things that regular people don't see. She sensed holiness in this person. After he came, it became, it became a normal behavior, right? That he would, he, uh, whenever he passed by, he would go there to eat bread. It became the system. The prophet used to travel around. That was his job. Whenever he came to Shunem, you already know that he's going to this famous woman that she wants, she's waiting for him to, to take care of him. That was his hospitable house. That was his house he went to. Okay, number nine. She said to her husband, I realize that the person who comes regularly to us is a holy man of God. So it's not right that he live in the same quarters as us. Okay, first of all, that alone takes spirituality. To understand that if this man is a holy man, it's not right that he should be with us. We should bother him. We have to give him his own space. He's holier than us. He should be separated. He shouldn't violate his privacy, so to speak. Ishelokim is a whole, is a man of God, Kadosh, and is holy. Then she says, that alone shows you. She says, I know. How we know that the Medrash says she saw. First of all, she said he is holy, and as we'll see soon, what is. But his Shamesh, his uh, attendant, the guy who went with him, Gehazi, is not holy. The Talmud says. She, she realized that he's holy. It doesn't mean that the people around him, his secretaries are holy. They're not so holy at all. Number two, she saw that was never a fly by his table. In these times, the old days, never give a fly by your table. She, the Medrash even says that we used to wake up there was no smell in the bed. It was, it was like fresh. Everything was fresh around them. She thought the man is not a usual human being. Okay. Let's make a small room uh, in the attic and put a bed table, chair, and lamp there for him. When he comes to us, he will stay there in privacy. Look out the order. Let's make a small room. Why a small? Why not a big room? Everything in the Bible has a reason. Let's make for him like a in-law suite. <laughs> That's what she said. A small one. Tzami Droshim says, a small one, only for him. I don't want his secretary to be with him. He shouldn't bother him. <laughs> she says, a bed, one bed, one chair, one table, just a place for him. Get him out. Get Yechazi out from the room. But what she said first, a bed. Because he's coming from the way, first of all, he has to relax. To lay down. Then you can have a chair. Then you can have a table, a, a table to sit down to eat. The other things. Small little place for him, for the for the prophet when he passes by. Talking about respect, he's coming. Let's say once a year, that they're building a suite, should be dedicated for the tzaddik, for the prophet, just for when he comes to visit. Nobody else will use it. Nobody else will touch it. They don't renting it out. On the, on, on the internet to anybody who comes during there. Just for him. Okay, number 11. After they built the room in the attic, the day came when Alicia arrived there. He stayed in the attic and slept there. 
He came, he actually built it, and they built food. They came there, he came there, he lay down, he was happy. But then, go ahead. He said to Kishazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman over here. He called her and she stood before him. He said to Gishazi, please say to her, you have gone to all this effort for us. What can I do for you to repay you? Is there any matter about which you want me to speak about to the king of or army commander on your behalf? Okay. The prophet felt that he has to repay her back. She takes care of him. She 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 she's uh, she's taking care of she gives she host, she she's hosting him every year. He wanted to give back. Tzaddikim in general don't want to be left owing anything to anyone. First of all, they don't they don't like to accept favors, and when they accept favors, they want to pay you back. Just want to share with you a short story. There was a Hasidic Rebbe, the Belzer Rebbe, before the Holocaust. He was in doing the fling from the, from the Germans, the Nazis, he was in Budapest. And somebody, that, at that time, there, there was no war at that time. Before the Nazis occupied, they came in 1944, I think. Yeah, in April of 1944, they occupied uh, Hungary. Before that, he was there for a few, good few weeks. The owner of the house took him, and he had a lot of Hasidim, you know, when a lot of Hasidim come to see the Rebbe, there is no tables and no chairs are left after that. Like the, nobody, not, nothing matters. You, to see the Rebbe, you're ready to, to kill and be killed. <laughs> then, by the end of his visit, he called the owner, told them, call all, all your family. Beginning, he told them, I want to pay you. I want you out and this, I feel bad. He says, Rebbe, that's the biggest tunnel, the biggest schools, I don't want to pay me anything. You argue. I said, well, Thing he said, call all your family, you ten children, or eight children, they were two parents and eight children. He calls them, again, this rabbi sitting with closed eyes and sitting and sitting and sitting and sitting and sitting. And finally, he says, You will all survive, you will all go to Islam. Give them a blessing. Then came the Nazis, they came the war, and it was hell. Somehow, he was able to find. Then uh, it's a whole story how we found the, the visas to, the, to Israel, the, uh, whatever it's called at that time, and he was able to get on a boat to run away from the from middle of the war in 1944, middle of 44, and run away from, it was, he came to a place that you said anybody, was, anybody wants a strip, a strip kit, I think it's called, uh, will cost $5,000, a huge amount of money. He did not have a penny. He stood online, he said, I have nothing to lose. Stands online, the guy, the lady comes to him, he comes to the, the lady, looks at him and says, You have money? He said, No, I have nothing. Whatever. She gave him, he gave her, she gave him all the ten. Something that completely didn't make sense. He survived, they came to Israel. This Hasidic Rebbe also survived, came to Israel. A few ladies he came to visit him. He says, Rebbe, your blessing was fulfilled. All my kids, my whole family survived. Now what the Rebbe says, Thank God you are not left owing anything to anyone. And this will learn from here. Elisha felt that if he gets from here, he has to do something for her. That he calls her and he tells her, tell me that you need we should talk for you to the government. Maybe you need connections to the king, to the head of the to the head of the army, to the officer. Okay. She said it's fine. I live peacefully with my family. After that she left. Okay. Um, yeah, one second. She said, I live happily, peacefully with my family. Really, in Hebrew, it's, it's more powerful than that. I'm sitting among my people. I'm okay, she told. First of all, it shows that she was a strong, first of all, she was a powerful woman. She had connections. Number two, she was smart enough not to ask for any favors. She said, I'm okay. I'm good. Life is good. I accept what I have. I don't need any connections. I don't need any favors. I'm happy. 
he's trying to help her. She said, no, I'm okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. Continue. He said to Gekazi, so what is there to do for her? Gekazi said, actually, there is something we can do. She doesn't have a son, and her husband is too old to father a child. Uh-huh. <clears throat> she left. She never asked for favors. She never asked for anything. She left. Gekazi, the secretary, he knows everything. He's a busybody. He says, yeah, we can do something for her. She doesn't have children, and her husband is old. That's, again, the same stories in the parsha with Sarah and Abraham. Okay. Number 15, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Call her, Alicia said. Gehazi called her and stood modestly at the doorway. Alicia said, at the next possible occasion for you to give birth, meaning in nine months' time, you will be embracing a son. She said, please, sir, man of God, do not delude your maidservant with false hopes. Wow. Now look very carefully to the world. He told them, in nine months you will embrace a son. Didn't tell us, you will raise a son, you will have a son, you will embrace a son. What she said, she said twice. In Hebrew, it's, it's hard to translate. Aladoni, do not, my master, do not give me false hopes. Twice do not. First of all, she's, maybe she sensed in this world, embrace a son, that it's not, it's not a full blessing. That she says, don't give me a child and then I have to lose him. Then better don't give him. But more than that, that's alone that she said it was kind of opening. There is a concept in Judaism, al-tiftahpeh. Do not open your mouth for the Satan. It means to say, do not predict bad. By here saying, do not give me false hopes, she created a problem. I guess the English expression would be, don't open a can of worms. No, it's more than that. She's creating a new reality by the literature. He gives her a blessing. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking the blessing and running, she says, don't give me false hope. Oi. It's like, I'm sure that, uh, that Elisha said, Oi. She killed it. <laughs> she killed it. The story of the Tzemach Tzedek, Third Chabad Rebbe, a woman, a woman who her husband disappeared. She didn't know where he is. She needs a get. She cannot get married without a get. She comes to the Tzemach Tzedek, finally, he never, in, he, in that time, Hasidic Rebbe did not, did not have private audience with women. That she never had a chance to talk to. Finally, they walked away. That he's going out from his room. They stuck here, there. She, here, you can ask the Rebbe whatever. Says Rebbe, where is my husband? Tells her in this city. She says, and if not in this city, tells her in this city. And if not in this city, tells her the third city. That says, lady, lady, go, 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 go. What happened? She came to one city. They told her he just left. She went after in the second city. He just left. By saying, and if not, she was killing it. Mm-hmm. Here she says, don't give me false hope. Who oh, asked you to talk? Mm-hmm. My father used to tell me that every day. You asked me to talk. <laughs> Be quiet. What are you making me so <laughs> I once needed, I needed something. Somebody, I wanted to come to America. We needed connections with something. I told my father, and if he tells you that, he tells me, who asked you to tell me if you killed it now? He went. At that time, it wasn't successful. Next time he went, it was successful. This year we learn, she said, oh, do not give me false hope. Who asked you to say it? Atzadi gives you a blessing. Take it and run with it. Okay, number 14. The, <clears throat> the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a boy at the earliest possible time, just as Alicia said. The child grew up. One day he went out to his father who was supervising the reaping of the harvests, and he said to his father, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to the lad who was working there, carry him to his mother. He, had a head, he probably walked out without a head. That's what the commentaries say. And he had a, something from the sun. Very Sun, sun Something like mm-hmm. this, yeah. I was thinking of brain aneurysm, but... <laughs> Huh? Vascular surgeon, thanks. Well, Technically, yeah. Something, yeah. something like this. <laughs> okay. 
Number 20, um, yeah. The lad carried him and brought him to his mother. The child sat on her knees until midday and he died. She went upstairs and laid him down on the bed of the godly, godly man, closed the door behind him and left. She left him, she was a smart woman. She took him, she put him on the bed of, of, the, of the holy man. He gave her his blessing, let him deal with it. And she closed the door. Nobody should know that he died. Nobody should know what happened. Okay. Number 23. She called to her husband and said, Send me one of the lads and one of the donkeys. I will rush to the godly man and come back. She didn't tell him what happened. She didn't want anybody, because she was, she was not giving up on her child. Therefore, she didn't want anybody to know. Nobody knew he died, he didn't, nothing. But he told her, why are you going today to the, to the prophet? It's not, it's not the more, it's not what he said, it's not. The new moon. It's not the new moon, it's not Rosh Chodesh, and it's not Shabbos. From this we learn that Rosh Chodesh and Shabbos was a time to go to visit the, the prophet. From this that he tells her, it's not Rosh Chodesh, it's not Shabbat, why are you going? Obviously, it's on Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh. It was a normal thing to go to visit the, 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 the prophet. The Aftorah continues. Please. Oh, you have to say, I'm sorry. He said, why are you going to him today? It's not the new moon or Shabbos when you usually see him. She said, all is well because she thought it would be better if it happened in secret. You see, it said that clearly it will happen in secret. What's going on here? The word Carmel. No, no, no. It's in the bottom. There is in the bottom. Man. She saddled the donkey. She saddled the donkey and said to her lad, Get going. Don't go slowly because of me unless I tell you. She traveled and came to the godly man at Mount Carmel. When the godly man saw her from afar, he said to Gekazi, his servant, The Shunammite woman is here. Now please run towards her and say to her, are you well? Is your husband all right? Is the child well? Okay. What happened there? When the, when the prophet Elisha saw the woman coming, he knew it's bad news. He knew when the normal time she comes. And when, what's the most suddenly, middle of the day, she's running and she's coming. Really? What happened? He says, something is not right. That he sends Gehazi, of dear Gehazi, to find out what says he says, ask him, is is peaceful, is good, is things good for you, your husband, your kids, is everybody good? What she told them? Shalom, it's good. She didn't want to answer him. She didn't want Gihazi to know anything about it too. Mm. Number twenty-seven. She came to the godly man who was on the mountain and grabbed hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the godly man said Leave her, for her soul is bitter. God has hidden the problem from me and has not told it to me. Here in this Haftorah, what's unique about this Haftorah is the nuances that you look, read good the world, you see there. What is behind it? First of all, when the prophet saw that she lay down to the floor, she's holding down to his feet, he knew right away something is very bad happened. It's not, it's not. And he knew right away what happened. It didn't take much. But Gehazi, He's the secretary. He pushed her away. Oh, he's touching the rabbi. He says, leave her alone. She's a very bitter heart. And God, as they use it in English, God has eaten it for me. Right? Yes, we need to understand one thing. A prophet knows only what God tells him. A prophet does know everything. Whatever God tells them, that's what he knows. Whatever he doesn't tell them, he doesn't know. It might be Moses, it might be anybody. He only knows what God tells him. There's a famous Talmudic story that on the day that Moses died on that Shabbat, in Joshua, God spoke to Joshua, and Moses asked Joshua, what God told you? He told him, and you told me? <laughs> that Moses says, better to die a thousand times than to be jealous, than to envy somebody else. It means a prophet knows only, and therefore, here we learn that, God covered it up for me. You know, there is many complaints about Hasidic rabbis who told the people that it's going to be good in Europe. 
not have to run away, it's not going to be a war, things like this. Even righteous people, you know what they said later? They said this expression, they said God had covered us up on us. We didn't sense this coming. On a spiritual level, they usually used to sense. People walked away into the room, they sensed what is good for you, what's not good. They didn't sense this is coming. God, God has eaten the Tumim. Not everything that the prophet, a prophet doesn't know everything. He knows only what God wants him to know. The rest he doesn't. That's what he told them. He told, he told the Gehazi. God had covered, he did it for me. Number 28. She said, was it I who asked for a son from my master? Did I, didn't I say, don't mislead me? Ah, oh, she said, never asked you for a bracha. What are you giving me? You gave me a blessing without asking you. You decided that you need a child. She was already, she, she, she already made peace with herself with not having the child, not having children. Then came the prophet. He decided she needs to have a child. She never asked him for a bracha. She never wanted a child. He comes from nowhere and tells her, no, no, you have to have a child. And then what do you do to me? You mislead me. Before she said, when she talked to him the first time, she says, do not, um, she didn't say, do, do, you mislead me. She used another expression. Altechaze um, Number 16, one second. Do not do, delude, delude me. me. Do not delude you, Misawa. Mislead, well, it's a... Uh, false, false, false hopes. Do not give me false hopes. Here she said, you, you mislead me. It's not exactly the same word, but it's okay. Go ahead. He said, Gezi, uh, fasten your belt so you can travel fast. Take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet someone, do not greet him. If someone greets you, do not reply to him so as not to delay your mission. Oh, he told Gehazi, look what Elisha tells him. Take my staff, go there, and you'll wake up the child. But here is the condition. Do not talk to anybody. Don't say hello. Don't say, because in Judaism, to say hello is considered a very important thing. That's alone from Jewish law that they say that if you're in the middle of the Shema, you shouldn't say hello to people. Or the, the laws that say that Rabbi Yohanan Mezakai says, I always was the first one to say hello to people. I didn't wait that they should tell me. I tell them that you learn that saying hello is a very important thing. He didn't want them to lose the mission. You should, you should not even say a word, so to speak. Take this thing and go. Don't speak to anybody. But Gehazi didn't listen. Gehazi was smarter than his rabbi. He did talk to people. And the Talmud says he, came, he went around, he used to tell the people, so people, he asked him, Gehazi, where are you going? He says, oh, my rabbi sent me to revive somebody with this stuff. You think it can be done? <laughs> Not only he talked, the problem is he didn't believe in his mission. If you don't believe in your mission, you'll never be successful. If you can say, oh, that's like, no, it's not bad. No, it's written he was a believer and not a believer. He was somewhere in between. If I don't believe in what I sell, nobody's going to buy. He cannot revive a person if he doesn't believe it, it's possible to do. That number one, he needs the faith. That the first ingredient for a miracle to take place is to have the belief it's going to happen. That's the most important ingredient. The first and the most important and the last one. He's laughing at that. Forget about it. He will never be successful. Okay. The boy's mother said, I swear by the fact that God lives and by your life that I will not leave you alone. If you don't come along, so uh -huh. she got up and was followed that, was that, was that, behind was that, was that, her. Yeah, oh, yeah. She got up. I'm sorry. And so he got up and followed behind her. Thank and you. She, one second, one second. This woman was smart. She didn't say she saw me sending Gehazi. She said, "Forget about Gehazi." She already saw years before that Gehazi is just. She says he's holy, and and his secretary is not holy. She right away sensed that through this Gehazi, miracles will not take place. She said, Rabbi, I'm not leaving until you come with me. I'm not letting you go and get away with it. Why would he send Gehazi to begin with? Because he felt that he can, could be accomplished even with, with, with his staff alone. His he said, with his staff alone, I can accomplish it. Because the tzaddik's uh, 
it's Tef, and, and other objects are holy. Therefore, there's a story about one of the Hasid, big Chabad Hasidim, rich men, and they came to him and told them, here is a whole bunch of, uh, of uh, silverware that were used by Tzadikim, by Tzadik, but not all of them. Some of them, and some of them didn't. He went to the Rebbe's son at that time, who later became the Rebbe. He says, you know, they offer me this whole bunch of things. I need to know. The Rebbe picked up, the son of the Rebbe picked up one spoon and said, this, this was used by a tzaddik. It's not. I guess. Fine. He went and he made a little scratch on every one of them, a little sign. He walks into the Rebbe, to the father, to, his, to the Rebbe, mixed them all up again. Says, Rebbe, they want me to buy it. Can you tell me if it's worth anything? Later he goes out, he checked it. It was the same thing that the son did. The same ones. It means a tzaddik can sense if this object was used by another tzaddik. There is a certain holiness to it. Then Gehazi believed that this Tef, there isn't the Talmud about the, I think the Tef of Rabbi Meir was making miracles. There's no known stories in the Talmud and everywhere. Look, Moses with his Tef was able to do, that's, for sure it was Moses, but the Tef became Moses' Tef. And there is, there is by Hasidim, by Jews, in, in general, the idea of having a, a clothing from a tzaddik or a piece of clothing or something. By Chabad, there is a custom that uh, under the chuppah, you know, you wear a kittle. In general, many Jews wear a uh, white, do you know what a kittle is? The white, uh, the robe, the white robe that you wear on Yom Kippur. The chuppah is considered the Yom Kippur of the copper. That the groom wears a kittle under the chuppah. Now, everyone wears a kittle. In Chabad, we take, a, there is, some people had shorts from the Rebbe, and every chosen wears a short. It, you get it? We had for under the chuppah. Because a garment of a tzaddik is a protection, is a level of holiness. Because <coughs> he used it, and because a tzaddik is, all his life is dedicated to God. That everything that he touched becomes elevated. Then he said, you're right, it's a good question, but he taught, Elisha says, with my staff alone, you could be, if you have the faith, you don't need a Rebbe with you everywhere. Take something from him, you can accomplish the world. You can, you can split the sea, so to speak. You can revive the dead. It doesn't matter if you're the dead. But if Gehazi is a Gehazi, and he doesn't believe in it, then there's nothing to talk about. So why, why didn't the prophet, who knows all these things, realize that his, his secretary wasn't uh, up, up to snuff here? <laughs> You know, not everything you know. That's what the prophet says. In the prophet says nothing, no. And also, you need to understand, the prophet, tzaddikim, live on two levels. On the small level, you think that they are regular people. They don't use their spiritual power on the daily life. Oh, they can, they can make a mistake. Oh, that's my glasses. No, that, he knows what is happening on the other side of the world, but he cannot find his glasses. You understand what I'm saying? that he tries to live a more, a very physical, normal life. You see, miracles is a problem. Why miracles is a problem? Everybody likes miracles. But really, miracles is a problem. Because it's revealed. If I, if a company makes a Windows, with Apple makes a, a computer program, it should work. If you need to fix it, the power. God created the world, right? He created a world that should work. If it doesn't work, and we need to change, alter nature, that's a problem. Then altering nature on one side shows the power of God. On the other end, it is a bad taste. It means that the system doesn't work. And the system is God's system. You build a house, then you have to change the world. What were you thinking before? And you get upset and you have to, you, sometimes you have to change what you don't want to change. I build it, I put so much energy in it. I like it this way, now I have no choice. That, that the whole concept of miracles, tzaddikim in general, prophet, they try to do everything in the most natural way. If there was absolutely no choice, the last resort was a miracle. The Rebbe tried, even when he made miracles, he tried to make it normal. 
It may be the doctor, a chosid was a doctor. Believe me, there were other better doctors than that. But never the Rebbe needed a miracle to say, go to Zelikson, I'll be good. And Zelikson, Zelikson said, the Rebbe sent me, is to give you, to check you out and give you a little wine from the Rebbe, so you'll be good. Because he also knew that he's just there for, for cover. It should be said that you went to the doctor. But as much as the Rebbe was able to do it in a natural way, it shouldn't look like a miracle. He tried every way not to make it like a miracle. Because a miracle means the Rebbe, the, the accomplishment. What's the problem with a miracle? You say, yeah, the Rebbe can make miracles, but I can't. You understand? The first Chabad Rebbe, when they came to arrest him, he didn't want to go. Mm. He could make a miracle not to go. But then what is Hasidim will say? The Rebbe can make miracles, but we will end up in jail. He went to jail. He paved the way in a normal way. He didn't go to, he didn't make any miracles. Normal, regular, because he should show to every Jew. If, if, they, if people make miracles, you say, hey, that's good for tzaddikim. I'm not Elisha, right? And I'm not Elijah. I cannot do it. It's too bad. God, therefore, God wants that nature should scream that there is a God. Not that above nature should scream there is a God. The job is, the, the mission is to live a normal life without miracles and to serve God. And the world should agree with God. The Rebbe said to some Chosid, I heard it lately, an unbelievable line. He told them what in the olden times you needed a miracle. Now we have it in the, now we have it in the, in, 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 in medicine. Yeah? It means to say that God chose to make his miracles through medicine, through the medical achievements and discoveries. In the olden days, you needed Elisha to give a blessing for a person to have a child. It was impossible. Today, many people cannot have children, have children. It's not that what does this mean? The medicine world, science discovered. God decided to operate through science. He used to operate through miracles. He decided to operate through science. It's again God, you understand? When I heard it, I was like, I'm telling you, it was for a few days, I couldn't, I couldn't think about anything else. It's an old view. Basically, the Rebbe said, now that it was before, short time before he passed away, there's no more tzaddikim. That found another way to operate, to make miracles in the world, to help people, to science. It's another arm of God. Oh, science, science is also God. Therefore, what he says here, then to make a miracle is, is not exactly what the tzaddikim want. They're not looking to make miracles. If they have no choice, they make miracles. But if you have faith and you have the, the step, it doesn't mean to be a physical step, but you have the, what's a step? A step is something that's unbendable. If you have the, if you have the strength, the strength of your faith that the Rebbe gave you a blessing and you went to work, you accomplish it. You revive the dead everywhere, no matter even in China. Again, you, know, you know what it says in the Talmud, even the least of the rabbis, the, the Talmudic rabbis could revive the dead. You're right. <laughs> That's what the Talmud says. That the least of the Talmudic rabbis can revive the dead. What does this mean? First of all, it means probably under literal sense too. But what, what is dead in life in Judaism, in spirituality? Somebody who's disconnected is considered he doesn't have the life of the spirituality of Judaism. Spiritually, so to speak, is that. Reviving the dead means connecting him to Judaism. So the Rebbe actually used this expression from the Talmud many times and he spoke to the Chabad rabbis. He says, the smallest of you can revive the dead. It means to say, can go out and bring the life of Judaism to people. And one rabbi uh, I know of his reaction to this was, yeah, I, in sermons, I put them to sleep and I wake them up. You know, so surviving the day. <laughs> he put them to sleep and he wakes them up. Not the narrative. No, he put them to sleep, that's for sure. Waking them up. Not, not the rabbi wakes them up, the congregation wakes them up. When the rabbi is done, then they will wake up. <laughs> okay, where are we? We are in, uh, yeah. Number 31.
Gehazi had gone ahead of them and placed the staff on the boy's face, but there was neither a sound nor a response because Gehazi had not followed orders, and he had stopped to jest and tell people of his mission. Mm -hmm. He returned to Elisha and informed him, saying the boy did not wake up. He came back to Elisha and said, I didn't walk. Chachamayna, <laughs> didn't walk. How far were they? 18 they miles. Were they were 18 miles. They were still going. He ran ahead. And he tried to revive the child. It didn't work. He comes back and says, oh, it didn't work. It was a lot of time. <laughs> it was a half a day. Yeah, it was a terrible yeah, time. The boy's not uh, breathing. The boy is dead. Yeah. <laughs> it was not a joke. He didn't, he, did, he, did, he, did, he didn't pretend that he's dead. The boy, the boy was dead. I'm just dead. saying the time here is like, well. Well, you're not doing CPR here. It, it's a <laughs> higher form. It's a higher form of CPR. <laughs> You know, I mean, will be. We'll see yeah, the point What's is, it's it? been a couple of days. That's the whole point. I don't think mm -hmm. it was a couple of days or the same. Was it, isn't it? How many trips back and forth are they making this? What? She makes one trip. She was no. Gazi makes a trip back. No, 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 no. Right? Mm. She went to her and she came back. How long will it take to go to ride or to walk 18 miles two ways? 36 miles, so... 36 miles. With a horse and buggy. Well, it's, not, it's, it's a donkey. It's a donkey. donkey. <laughs> a donkey is a little slower than horses. Well, how long will it take? A couple hours. No, no, more. no, no more, more. Much more. It, probably a day. A day. That's what I'm saying. A day. Took a day. Back and forth took a day. Yeah, I mean, some people told me they walk uh, three miles in... They told me. Somebody told me he went to Orangewood in an hour. Oh, yeah. The I'm a donkey? <laughs> and it's two feet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. My husband went to pick up a car to his job from our house. He was back with his car in 40 minutes. I don't know how he was walking. He was <laughs> flying. Somebody he walking. Was he was flying. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends who is walking. You're right. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. Okay, me. where are we? Uh, okay, um, number 32. When Alicia arrived at the house, the boy was dead, lying on his bed. He came inside and closed the door behind both of them and prayed to God. See, if you want to make a miracle, close the door. The miracle is to be hidden. The more eyes are there, the less chances for miracles. The, the first story that you didn't learn today is also a story about the woman closing the door. She, he told her to be the oil, told her, bring you, uh, uh, and he tells, the prophet tells her, no, I don't think the prophet told her, she went in and she closed the door, twice. Yeah, the prophet told her, close the door. Because, where is the blessing? Something with the eyes don't see and don't know. The less eyes, the better, the better off you are. That's why, by Jews, we have a custom. When somebody is pregnant, until you don't see it, you don't talk about it. Less people know the better it is. And I told I tell people many times. I mean, people have you know sometimes they lose the baby. Thing. I said, first of all, don't tell anybody the next time. No one. Not your mother. Don't tell even your mother. No one will finish because your mother will tell only your best friend that you'll tell only your best friend. <laughs> Don't tell them finish. How oh, they'll be insulted. No, they'll be insulted. They'll survive. The point is blessings, especially blessing like children, that's the most important blessing. The less you know about it, the less people talk about it, the more chances that the blessing, because people talk, that they doubt, and they, it's not good. It's like Jews in America, for example. American, the Americans adapted this tradition. It's not nice to ask somebody how much money you make, right? In Israel, it's a normal thing. How much money you make? <laughs> and when the Americans come to Israel, they look like, how do you ask me? Or you ask a baby, when a baby is born, you ask how much is, is the baby weighed, right? You ever asked an adult how much he weighs? <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obviously you see there are things that you don't, better, better not to know. It's secret, top secret. If the blessing, if you want to grow, you keep it a secret. It's interesting. Everybody, it's everybody complains, you know. I just don't go anywhere. I don't understand why I'm getting weight. I eat nothing. I don't understand why I'm getting weight. Angels are coming. <laughs> <laughs> 
there was a Hasidic Rebbe, they used to say that he's getting heavy from saying, Omen Yeshmer Rabbo, he gets such pleasure from praising God that he gets heavy. <laughs> Obviously, everybody that we know gets pleasure from prayers and they get, they get heavy. It's interesting, though. Here, here he walks in and prays. He doesn't use a staff. So the staff originally... The staff, even was, the, the staff was to give it to somebody else. Right. He does need the staff. No, I understand. He doesn't need it. Not only but, this. But, but this is a higher level than to oh, use the staff. Oh, oh. More than that. Until now, he never prayed. He said, God, I need a child. Don't. Tell her, go this. Here came a point that the prophet himself needed a prayer. He needed to pray to God for this miracle. Because here it was not already a normal thing. That was a new level. It's one thing, give you a blessing for a child. It's another thing to revive it. But I was thinking that it was made worse by um, Gezi coming in and doing what he did. Oh, okay. Gezi, sure, because the moment he used the, the, the staff, staff, the staff will not work. This level will not work. You, you need something new. And that's what I was thinking. Absolutely, about. absolutely. Number 24, 34. He climbed up onto the bed and lay on the child. He placed his mouth on the boy's mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his palms on his palms. He spread himself out over him, and the child's flesh became warm. He went back down off the bed and walked backwards and forwards in the house. Then he climbed back on the bed and spread himself over the body and repeated these movements seven times. Seven times. Why seven? There is seven heavens to bring down the soul on the seven heavens. But he did something that today may be CPR, but it was more than CPR. Seven CPRs. Yeah, why, why would he do something that people would uh, would construe to be natural here? Is it the same thing that you were talking about earlier, that you want to make it seem the least yes. miraculous possible? Also, one, and number two, even more than that, a miracle is never black and white. Never. This Parsha, for example. Abraham is waiting for a child for 10 years. Then uh, Sarah is being taken by Avimelech. She's there one night. Lo and behold, she's pregnant. What everybody else said. She's pregnant for a miracle. She was, she was married to Abraham for 80 years. For who knows how long? Nothing. Then she was one night visiting by Avimelech. Nine, nine months later or seven months later, a baby is born. The whole world goes around gossiping. She was born. For, she was got pregnant from Avimelech. And what God needed to do, God had to make that Isaac should look just like Abraham. That pe nobody should be able to say it's from Avimelech. But why to complicate things? Can you tell me? Why not to be just normal? Just make the miracle and make it clear. Everybody should see the... Every miracle as, the, as, as a spot, as a place for somebody to doubt it. Every miracle. Especially made like this. God gives place for the scoffers, for the doubters, for the agnostics, for the atheists. Because if not, there is no free choice. If it's so clear and so thing, then, that, then the, it's over. And more than that, I think there is something more to it. God doesn't want that the agnostics and atheists should be punished. He made it in a way that you cannot blame them all the way, you understand? There is, yeah, there is some place. It's never black and white. Never, never. You know, when you are a young man, you think everything is like, where are you there? Who is writing now? All the young people. It has to be this way. As you're getting older, nothing is black and white. It's all gray, just like the ear. Everything is gray. It's not there, and it's not there. He's a little right, and he's a little right, and he's a little wrong. And it's, everything is complicated. Even the miracles are complicated. Absolutely. Okay. Koyan? Um, 36. Yeah. Alicia called to Gazicha and said, call the Shumanite woman. He called her, and when she came to him, he said, pick up your child. She called the Shunamite, he called Gerhaz, he told her, go call the Shunamite woman. She can take the child. Not bad, huh? Uh. <laughs> okay, finish it. She fell down at his feet and prostrated herself. Then she gathered up her son and left. How old was the son? The son was a child. Four, five, maybe a little. The Talmud says that this child was later. Who was this child? Chavakuk. Why is he called Chavakuk? 
חבקוק, חבקוק. It comes from the word לחבק. לחבק means to hog. He told them you will embrace a son. לחבק means to embrace. חבקוק okay. is one of the small, minor prophets. Yes. The word חבקוק means two embracement. This child, the two embracement, one from his mother and one from the prophet. You understand? Usually every child is embraced by his mother. Was, that's why it's called his name. The name represents that he was, was a unique story. His name was Habakkuk and the word two. It's a double, double embracement, double chibuk. Habakkuk, like H-A-B-B-K-K. Cook. Yeah, the prophet. The, his mother, because the, the word that he used, you will at choveket bein, you will embrace a child. And then he embraced them basically by laying an amen, and that's why it's called Havakuk, the one, the child that was embraced. Was he, the, is he, the, was he also the prophet then? Havakuk was a prophet. He became a prophet. He became a prophet. One, that was said, the one, said the minor, minor, prophet, minor prophet was Havakuk. He's one of the 12. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what, what's your take on, on, on the relationship between this resurrection and the idea that Isaac was resurrected? Uh, Isaac was resurrected? There is a Midrashim that say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But why, why he needed to be resurrected? Because he was... He, he wasn't dead. Well, according to the Torah, he wasn't dead. But according to the Midrashim, uh, he, his life was sacrificed and he came back to life. What the sacrifice? <laughs> Maybe he freaked out and he... Mm -hmm. uh, what, yeah. Abraham didn't slaughter him, that's for sure. Okay. But, but, I mean, some people have said that this is one of the connections between the Parsha and, and the uh, I'll tell you, Torah. there is no reason to add to the miracle. I think the great story of Abraham and Isaac is that he didn't kill him. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering why there are Midrashim that say that he did and maybe, maybe the connection. <laughs> I mean, here, here, there is plenty of connections in this after to the Parsha. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that she was hospitable, the idea that she, uh, a woman who, needed, who never had children get a child, and, the, and becomes a prophet and gives her a blessing and she has a child. The addition that could be that this addition is more to about Ishmael, that he almost died. It's interesting that the Sephardim don't go this far. Do you I know. Do you yes. think they cut it off for that reason, or that it, that it sounded too much like resurrect, you know, resurrection comparing to the Parsha? No, there is many arguments about these things. I don't think it's a. I think I think I think why the Ashkenazi finished the story. I'll tell you why. You remember we read it a few. Good note. Because you always have to finish on a, on a good on a good note. Therefore, we never finish on. A, on he died. <laughs> You're going home? <laughs> Your wife asks you, what do you learn on the show? He said, oh, <laughs> The prophet gave him a blessing. A child was born. Two years later, he said, you come with this bad news, you come and go, go back to show. Find out what happened the rest of the story. We cannot send the Jew to eat children after such a bad story. <laughs> Therefore, we read the whole story. Don't worry. That if you don't have a good end, no, we don't have, what should you do? Not every time it works out. But if you have a good end, we don't finish in a bed. It's a famous concept, to finish on a good note. And it's everywhere, by the way. It's proven everywhere in the Torah, in the Talmud, that you can, I can show you many examples of it. That there is certain prayers who are ending with an extra word just for the sake of ending in a good note. We'll make a class one day about it. I made a speech about it a few times, a while ago, but... But that's, you know, on Shabbos, you don't take videos. <laughs> <laughs>